Good evening. It is so good to see each of you. If you are guests this evening, again, we welcome you. If you would be turning in your Bibles to page 965, if you're in a Bible that's in the P-Rack or Acts, the first chapter, we'll be looking at various verses throughout the first six chapters of Acts. So if you would open your Bible and we'll study along together in just a few moments. It is an exciting time of the year. Now is the time to make Family Day the greatest success for God's glory that we can make it. It's about a month away. It's October the 5th. The theme will be applying God's love to the family. There are yard signs as you exit the foyer to my right. And be sure and take those. There will also be postcards available very soon that you can send out. One of the things that because of our limited space, we rarely are able to do, and I'm sure that there are many that are excited about this, we are planning on having a meal together that Sunday. Uh, There will be tents uh, erected throughout the parking lot, and there will be further instructions on what you can bring. Part of it, I believe, will be catered, and then other parts, other dishes uh, you'll be asked to bring. So be thinking about... You'll be needed to bring food, but also you'll be needed to bring the guest. Let's do everything that we can do to reach out to our community. As we think about family day, don't get confused with the thought, this is for me to only invite my family. Absolutely, yes, you should invite your family. But this is a time to invite your friends, to have them to come to a day where the topic is very, very important. What greater gift could we give someone than for them to hear God's instruction for the family and for the home. And so be thinking of friends that you can invite that would benefit from Family Day also. The speaker this year will be Bud Lambert. Uh, Many of us know Bud very well. We know of the deep, rich teaching that he does anytime he teaches and preaches. Uh, He's been on staff here at Mount Juliet for 12 to 13 years. He has been a tremendous, tremendous blessing to us on a weekly basis, and we look forward to him being with us on Family Day. So be sure and be doing everything you can do in prayer and in invitations uh, to make this a great success. Also, we are thankful. Ray Burchett, Alan Cantrell, what a tremendous success to score 90% and 100% in Bible Bowl. But we're thankful for every one of our youth that they gave several of the past few weeks in study uh, to do the best they could do. And anytime we learn God's Word, we're doing something wonderful. If you participated in Bible Bowl, how about just raising your hand high? If you participate in Bible Bowl, and you see all the hands, and we appreciate each one of you guys and you ladies that did that. And may God bless you with that knowledge that it will enrich your life. And we thank uh, a big hearty thank you to Alan Smith. Uh, just did a tremendous amount of work to prepare our group. And I know he had several other adults that helped him also, but uh, he was the, the one that really made that happen, and we appreciate that. The teacher's banquet last night was so wonderful. Uh, we are appreciative of every teacher. We're thankful that uh, Andrew made that banquet available to honor the teachers, and we're thankful for the young people that came and babysat and also served us. Uh, they They really did a tremendous job, and we're thankful for each one that had a part in making that uh, available for the teachers, and we're thankful for each one of the teachers. We're also uh, thankful for Brandon Ogden. Brandon will be going in to the Marines in just a few weeks, and tonight there will be a send-off at the Perry's house. All of the young people know about it. It's a reminder to be there uh, if you can, and we look forward to hearing great things from Brandon, and we will continue uh, to keep him in our prayers. 
Can you imagine being a part of a church that grew like the church grew in the first century? I'm not talking about just for numbers sake. I'm talking about the excitement of almost every day seeing individuals say, I want to serve that Jesus. I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a Christian. Scan with me, if you will, just a few of these pages of growth. When we look in Acts, the second chapter, notice how many received the Lord in 41. Acts, the second chapter, look at 41. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to Him. Isn't that amazing to think of the beginning to see 3,000 souls baptized in Christ? How long does it take to baptize 3,000 souls? Have you thought about what that day was like? Have you thought about it? They probably missed lunch that day. You know how we like to go out and eat? They probably missed lunch and they probably all stood around and they probably enjoyed a lot of prayers and a lot of singing and a lot of rejoicing probably all afternoon and evening long as they enjoyed seeing that continual growth. It didn't stop there. As we go a little deeper in the Bible... Notice in the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, in the midst of a lot of controversy in the church where outsiders were wanting to pressure those to not teach and preach at all, notice what the result was in the fourth chapter in verse 4. However, many of those heard the word, believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, we started out with 3,000 apparently total. But now we have 5,000 men. Now let's say on average that there would be a wife and two children in these families. And so now the church has grown in just a few pages. It has grown from 3,000 to probably around 20,000 in number. Isn't that amazing? But it did not stop there. When you go to the fifth chapter, after Ananias and Sapphira were, uh, were executed by God, notice as we read down in verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So here's a church that's already grown by leaps and bounds from 3,000 to probably fifteen or 20,000. And now we read on and it says, oh, there's multitudes more. How many is a multitude? I don't know. But when you already are adding by the thousands, a multitude we would assume is a pretty big number. And then we go to the sixth chapter and we see it's producing growing pains. Look at the sixth chapter in verse 1. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying and there arose complaint because some of the Widows were not being served. Those with a Grecian background and those with a Hebrew background were being served. So we see growing pains there. But they handled those growing pains. And notice what happened in 7. Then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Can you imagine being a part of a church that was around 20,000 and then it multiplied greatly and then you flip over a few more pages and it multiplies greatly again. What joy it would be to see folks on a daily basis saying, I want to serve Jesus. I want to spend eternity in heaven. I'm ready to give my all to the cause of Christ. Tonight, if we scan these same six chapters, what is it that we might see that they were doing that we might be able to apply to our life? Many of these things we're already doing. Maybe we'll notice some things that we're not doing as well as maybe we could. 
And so let's be real honest in this study and the things that we're doing, let's be persistent. Let's be faithful in those and let's continue doing them. If there's things that we can do better, let's say if it's going to reach out and increase the population of heaven, that's all we want to do. Friends, it's not about what we can boast in numbers for our glory. It's about changing, increasing the population of heaven. Let's go back to Acts, the first chapter, and let's try to pull out at least something out of each chapter of the first six chapters. Number one, I suggest to you that this church, before it actually began... You remember we studied this morning, Acts 1 was before the church began, of course, in Acts 2... They understood. They answered the call to salvation and service. Now, when we read in 2 Peter, the first chapter and verse 10, we are taught to make your calling and election sure. These are individuals that they had already, many of them, the apostles, had left boats. They had left their tax-collecting jobs. They had left and separated themselves from peers and from individuals. And they had already committed to the Lord, I'll follow you. I'll deny all and I'll follow you. They went through that rough and rocky road of denying Jesus and, and making their separation from Him during the time of His death. But they'd seen the resurrected Lord for 40 days now, the first chapter tells us, they had had their faith renewed. As a matter of fact, in verse 3, we see that Jesus gave them infallible proofs. We sometimes need proof. Jesus has given us all the proof that we need. He gave them the proof that they needed. Just as Jesus says in Matthew, the 11th chapter, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus bids that invitation. Jesus makes that call. He's saying, who wants to follow me? And notice as we read the first chapter in verse 8, uh, reviewing something we mentioned this morning. First chapter in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And for the apostles, it was miraculous power in the second chapter. And you shall be witnesses. Notice that phrase. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you notice how it was growing out? First, you're going to be a witness in Jerusalem, then Judea then Samaria, then to the Gentiles, to all of the earth. It's interesting here when he did not say, I want you to go out and witness, as so oftentimes it's used today, especially among our religious friends. He said, I want you to be witnesses. Be. When we've been doing lessons recently on holiness, we've talked about it's not that we try to act holy, it's that we are holy. It's not that we go out and, and think, well, my job is just, just to go out and tell people. No, that's literally what we become. We believe as verse 1, we studied this morning, that the work of Jesus Christ, His words and His teaching is a continuation through the church. We are the church. That's who we are. We are people that tell others about Jesus. Somebody says, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a preacher. Not everybody has that gift or ability, but anybody can invite folks to church. Anybody can pray for others. Anybody can say a good word for Jesus and give Him the glory for things that have taken place in their life. But please note this fact. This is so interesting. You may have heard this before, but if not... This will probably strike you as one of those, wow, I didn't know that. You know where the root for the word witness? You know what other word is the, where we get, uh, it, because of the root of it, we get another word? From the same exact root, we get the word martyr. You see, when we look through the scriptures, 
the individuals that were willing to speak. Now, I want you to think in this illustration for a minute. You've seen an accident. You've seen it. You're a witness to it. Now, the question is, will you stand in court and testify? So I said, no, no, I don't want to get involved. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Well, what good does that witness do? So the Lord wants to know, not, have you seen enough to believe in me? We see all through the New Testament, the Pharisees, that they saw enough to believe in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess him. They wouldn't be a witness in the sense that they would say, not only do I believe it, I'll put my life on it. If I have to give my life up to keep my stand with Jesus Christ, I will be a martyr. I will be a witness. Friends, that is at the root of the word witness. So a church that's going to have a foundation underneath her in other words, of of fellowship, of membership, that's going to explode in the growth, reaching out to the community of Jerusalem, what is that church going to be? Number one, it's going to be full of individuals that are saved and they would give their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. I believe this room is full of individuals that are saved and would give their life for Jesus Christ. So what else did this church do? Go with me, if you will, to the second chapter, and let's see what this church did. They took the time to study, to fellowship, to pray. Look at the second chapter in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the teaching and the preaching of the apostles' doctrine. And in fellowship, that's enjoying the companionship or the partnership with other Christians, whether it be just in, in, in a relationship or if it's in sharing in the gospel or sharing in ministry. The word fellowship is very broad in the way it's applied, but it's the idea we're in this together. I've got your back. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I'm walking along with you. And so this church continued in the doctrine, but they also continued being there for each other. They continued in fellowship. And we continue reading in 42, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the breaking of bread, it depends what context it is. And this is one of the places it's difficult to know exactly what's meant. If it's a context that we know it's talking about the Lord's Supper, they were continuing every first day of the week in the breaking of the bread. If it's not, it doesn't always have to be the context of the Lord's Supper. It can be just enjoying what we call fellowship meals together. And so the idea is, though, these are the things they were continuing in. They were continuing in the teachings that came from God, and they were continuing in encouraging each other, and they were continuing in praying, in other words, speaking back to God. You see how that makes a circle? They were continuing and saying, God, I want you to speak. I want you to guide my life. God, I want to share life with your children. God, I want to have communion back to you. I want to talk to you. That's what they were continuing in. Growing churches. Churches that reach out to others and encourage them to become Christians. Did you know one of the characteristics, even when this is studied in a broad sense of religion, one of the characteristics is how much time and attention that church puts upon the study of God's Word. I thought it was interesting that a book entitled Breakout Churches by Tom Rainer, which is actually, uh, I got an idea of this study from some things that were taught in that book, although he's not approaching it exactly the way we are, but I got an idea from there. But as I studied, there was something that, that was really, it was amazing, but at the same time, it was no surprise the way he terms a breakout church is a church that has hit, has gone down and declined and hit a plateau, a plateau. And then, you know, usually the only way a church can grow out of that, well, I hate to say this, 
but he's usually changed preachers. Uh, that's just the rule of thumb. And, and so that, you know, and you see it in corporations. You see it that the company's just taking a nosedive and what are we going to do? Well, we got to change some leadership, some key position. And so that's, that's kind of what happens. Well, what he did, and this fellow lives in Nashville. He, he is of a denomination, but he has done about as much research on some of these areas as about anybody alive today. It's what he did was he went all across the country crossing denominational lines to find churches that without changing the preacher, they were able to pull out of that long plateau and and they were able to, to grow in a significant way again. And then they studied to see what is it about those churches that they were able to do that. You know what every one of those churches had? Every one of them had a minister that studied the Bible at least 22 hours a week. Study and prayer at least 22 hours a week. The churches that could not pull out of that, almost every one of them had a minister that spent four hours or less in Bible study and thought that his time would be better served out visiting folks and doing other things. Now, I know we get into realms like that and there becomes a lot of discussion, but friends, it's this simple. You can't drink from a dry well. And if a congregation is going to be fed from the pulpit, the preacher has to study. But now note this, it goes a step further, I believe. If a congregation is going to reach out into the community, the congregation will never be able to reach out into the community if they are dry. That's why it's such a blessing to be a part of this congregation where we have an eldership that continually challenges, read your Bible every day. Why? Because when you drink of the living water, you have something to offer a co-worker at work whenever they say, I was thinking about this, and you say, I was just reading about that. Whenever you have a friend that is in despair and you say, I was reading some verses last week that would be good. Let me offer you a few that you ought to read. Friends, All that matters, all that matters is God's wisdom. We have a world, a community dying around us without a Savior. We don't have some keen invention of a Savior by our own human nature. There's one Lord and one message. And if we don't take the time ourselves to learn of that Lord and of that message, what do we really have to offer people? Now think about this as it relates to what we've already covered tonight. We have just scanned the pages and we have seen this church grow at what we today would say an unbelievable rate. But what were their members doing on a daily basis? Their members were getting together and studying the apostles' doctrine. They were fellowshipping, in other words, building each other up, and they were praying about it. I think that we as a congregation are off to a a tremendous start of of all that God has planned for us to do. But I really believe that too much is given, too much is expected. And I believe that God has so many more greater things for His glory that He has planned for us to do. And so let's make sure that chapter 1... We're saved and we'd give our life for the Lord. Let's make sure, chapter 2, that we are the kind of people that say, I've got to drink from these waters. I must spend time in the Word of God because without God's Word, we have nothing to offer. But then, in, as we just scan a few other things to bring this lesson, wrapping it around to a close, look at the third chapter. And as we see the third chapter, 
we see that we have to take the opportunity to do ministry outside the walls. The third chapter, verse 1, Peter and John, they no longer now are in what we would call a church setting. They are now, but really they are in a church setting because everybody that's a part of the Lord's body is the church. And they see the lame man there in verse 2 at the gate, beautiful. And they offer him something in 6. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And we read the rest of this chapter and we see that not only was that man healed physically, but we see that that man loved and praised Jesus. Why? They left what we say, the four walls. Friends, it is so important for us to come together and study together and encourage each other. But I want to challenge you. What will you do this week that is a direct effort to leave the four walls and to take a good word of Jesus Christ outside these walls. Who is it this week that you'll say, we have a special day coming up in about a month. And and listen, my family, we would love for you to be there. We want to eat lunch with you. We, We want to spend the afternoon with you. Who is it that you'll reach out, that you know that they are in need? And maybe, what if you kept at least one person in your life that you viewed yourself as their servant. What if we had a church of six to 800 people that constantly reached out to people in need and you viewed yourself as their servant? They're going to have a lot of needs and you're not looking for anything in return from them. It's like Jesus serving us unconditionally. What difference could we make? We have seen examples in the life of this church where someone kind of takes a younger child under their arm from the community and they bring them on a regular basis. Why can't we all reach out to somebody? Why can't we leave these walls and say there's at least one person? I can make a difference in their life. I'm going to give my life to serving that one person. But we're going to have to be contagious, a contagious type of enthusiasm. Look in the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, they were actually in verse 3. They laid hands on Peter and John and they put them in custody because of what they were doing to the town. They were stirring up the town for the good that was being done. And the Sanhedrin was jealous about it. Now, notice as we skip down in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated. And so in 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Notice Peter and John's answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Are you so excited about the opportunity to do whatever ministry God's given you the opportunity to do that others would describe you as passionate, zealous, enthusiastic? Friends, let's just be real honest with ourselves for a minute. This day will go over like a lead balloon unless there's hundreds that are passionate. You name any ministry And it will have no success unless there's servants that are passionate. There are many things in this world that it is all right to have no zeal and no passion about.
But God and His work is not one of those things. If there's anything that ought to stir our soul and move us to sacrifice and move us to be energetic, it ought to be serving God and bringing others to Him. What is it that you will do because you love God? One guy said, passion's hard to define, but I always recognize it when I see it. Isn't that interesting? You could tack on to the end of that. You can also always recognize when you don't see it. And so let's make sure that we have that passion. But then notice as we go to the fifth chapter, this is where Ananias and Sapphira lie about the mount of the, the sale of the property, and so the Lord strikes them dead. And let's think about clear expectations. Notice when, when he struck them dead, look at the end of this in verse 11. So great fear, and this is Acts the fifth chapter, verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Do you think they, they stood around and debated after that? Hey, uh, do you think God really cares if we lie? Hey, do you think God really keeps His promises? Friends, we need to realize that with God, a lot of things in our society that's considered gray, with God, they're not gray at all. With God, it's a very clear black and white issue. And we owe it to mankind to be that voice of truth that speaks the truth, not to try to increase the population here, but to increase the population in heaven. You see the point that I'm making? We don't need to water things down. Well, maybe if we kind of tiptoe around this, maybe if we kind of soften this, maybe we can have a greater membership. What good does that do if it doesn't change the population of heaven? Did the early church... Could they hide behind the fact when they're dragging dead bodies out because God is giving the death sentence? No. But what was the result in 14? In verse 14, the result was there was tremendous growth still taking place. Friends, there are still a lot of people that they like to know what's expected of them. They like people to shoot straight with them. Now, we can and must do it in love. We must do it in meekness, considering ourselves. But we must speak the truth. But then we close in verse 6. And that is, to have a burden to do more than one individual can do, so the only thing you can do is just help grow other leaders. We don't have time to go in depth about that, but do you remember, that's the one that we mentioned just a few minutes ago. It's where the apostles took the complaint that yes, there were some widows that weren't being fed the way they ought to be cared for on a daily basis, and the apostles had their plate full. They said, we can't leave the word and prayer. But what we can do is we can find additional servants, and we'll appoint seven additional servants, and they can take care of that. What were they doing? They were helping grow others so that greater service can be done. Who is it that you'll take under your wing and you'll help grow them? Because there is so much work to do. You remember Jesus' lines in John 4? To lift up your eyes and look into the harvest? It's white. It's ready. We need all the help we can get. If you're a mom and daddy with children at home, that's your ones that you raise them up with their eyes set upon God and on the harvest. Maybe you're a grandparent. What can you do to point those little eyes towards the Lord? Maybe there's a, a neighbor, a, a child that lives just down the street. Maybe there's a young Christian right in our midst 
that if someone would go and just give them the opportunity to say, why don't you serve with me in this ministry, they would love that opportunity to grow. Friends, we see a church that was absolutely exploding. But what they did was they were serious about their relationship with God. They were serious about learning God's Word. They were willing to take that message outside of the walls and reach the individuals just like the lame man. And when they were approached with a challenge, they approached it with boldness and courage. Their enthusiasm and their passion was for real. They spoke clearly what the expectations were. If you were in Bible class this morning, Acts the 17th chapter, when Paul preached there, did he dance around the topic that there's going to be a day that every man will stand and give an account for himself on the day of judgment? He didn't dance around that as he demanded for them to repent. We need to be a church that speaks clearly those expectations. And then we need to recognize the need to grow others, to always be about growing others. Have you thought about lately that's all the church is? Church is people, relationships. When we talk about growth, we're talking about reaching souls and helping them grow tonight. Where are you? It's wonderful to think about all that may be around us and that we might could encourage this week. But what about you? Maybe we need to start inside the walls. Nobody here is perfect, so then our question is, have you been forgiven? Has God forgiven you? Have you come to the Lord based on His terms? We had another baptism this afternoon of an individual that's baptized when they're young and said, I really don't think I had a clue what I was doing. Friends, we want to make our calling and election sure. We want to make sure that if we are reaching out to others, that we ourselves are sure of what we have done. Tonight, are you saved? Have you been baptized into Christ because you're a believer? willing to repent of sins and confess. Maybe you've done that, but yet somewhere along the way you've lost the way and you want to come back tonight, confess sins and pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.